Good morning. I am grateful to be with y'all again today, and I am really grateful that Dave is in the book of Romans. So we are in Romans chapter 2 today. If you have your Bible or an app that you usually look in, go ahead and open that up. And while you do, I'm going to give a little recap of what you've already heard from Dave last week. Paul's main point, his single thesis, if you could memorize one book from well, I mean, one verse from Romans, I'd love for you to memorize the book. If you're going to memorize one verse from Romans, it's 116. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, both the Jew and the Greek. And that's where Dave began our series last week, talking about with that last group, the Greek. He was talking about the pagan These are the ones on the outside. These are the ones who don't know God. They're not been taught about him. They don't know what you know, and they don't care to know what you know. They are living their lives without any reference to God, and they're happy about it. They're not miserable out there, or they don't know they are. And we know that Paul tells us that the wrath of God rightly falls on those who do such things. And though we usually don't talk to people like this, going up to them and screaming wrath and fury to them. It's right that Paul do so, because to be saved means you're saved from something. And until you know what that something is, salvation makes no sense, frankly. So those who don't know God can see a little bit of what he's like, we learned in Romans 1. They can see his eternal power. They can see his divine nature. And even though they can see that clearly in everything that's been made, Paul tells us that they turn away from that. They turn their back on what they know and they give themselves over to their flesh. And they harden down into a spiral of sin that that Dave talked about. They turn from God, selfishly living for themselves. It's a live and let live kind of mentality that they're in. They are a law unto themselves. Their only goal is whatever they want. And that was me, and I loved it. I was not some poor, pitiful little girl who was out there just living her life, but just wishing that someone would come and tell me the truth. I was happy. I was doing what I want, when I wanted, and all of you people just need to get out of my way and leave me alone. I was nobody that you would pity. In fact, I was the one, frankly, that the Christian girls in my life seemed to look like an envy. I seduced your guys. I wooed you over to my side. I love to meet you little Christians in my college classes. And I would get to know you, and I would slowly convince these little girls that their parents' religion has just been holding you back. They're not for you. I'm exactly the kind of person that your parents are worried about you going off to school and meeting. They're exactly the kind of person that your parents are worried about you meeting at that workplace for that new job you just got. Because I'm the one that's over here trying to convince you that my way is a far better way to live. I felt free until God gave me what I wanted. He gave me myself. And I drank the the bitter cup of my own way of doing things and my own way of thinking and my own emotions and my own thoughts. And then by God's grace, he woke me up and he showed me that I had actually become the very thing that I had ranted about for all of my 19 years. I woke up and I saw myself for who I really was, but I did not get the hope of the gospel then. All I got was a clear view of my own darkness. And if you've 
never been there to see yourself as you actually are, but with no hope of the gospel, you would have felt exactly like I did, which is I wanted to die, and I tried. Over and over, I tried. But God was also gracious, and I'm a real screw-up at that. And he sustained me until he opened my eyes to the truth of hope of salvation. The gospel is the power of God for people just like me. But the thing is, guys, I feel like I'm sitting here in front of a bunch of people who get that. These are, y'all are like my, y'all are my impact kids. Like, y'all get that there is a world out there just like me and that the power of the gospel that you hold is the same power that God put into work in my life. And you think about them and you think about where they're going and those Four guys, some of you wrote down their names, and you will not forget to pray for them. They will weigh on you. You have a longing to get to them, to go tell them about the truth of Jesus Christ, because if they see themselves without any hope, you know they'll die, or they'll numb themselves. They'll escape into mindless sex. They'll escape into mindless drinking, mindless entertainment, mindless aggravated assault. They're just trying to numb their life with all they can do. And y'all want to go rescue them. And I love it. It's why we impact you and then send you and equip you out into this world. You get that. But the deal is, Paul then turns the chapter. And when he does, he takes a look at people just like you. And there's a problem. Every one of you who can stare at these four guys, if you, if you heard Anthony say these four names and what they did and your brain filtered correctly, this was wrong and you know it's wrong and you know what is right and you know not to do wrong. If that's you, then Paul just turned the page today on you. And then this is where he goes. I want you to know this. No, turn back. I want you to know this statement. Turn back one for me. There is nothing like religion to fool you into thinking that salvation is what other people need. There is nothing like you carrying your Bible and coming to church and even singing and even going on mission trips or even going with impact to fool you into thinking that salvation is not what you need. Salvation is what other people need. So we're going to get into Romans chapter 2. If you're there, look with me. It'll also be on the screen. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on others, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who who practice such things. But do you suppose, O man, you who judge others and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his, of his kindness, his forbearance and his patience, not understanding that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent hearts, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek... uh, No, sorry. 
Yes, seek glory and honor and immortality, they get eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, who disobey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He will render to each according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing, oh, sorry, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who've sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who've sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who were justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, do you see they're a law unto themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law has been written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts also accuse them or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let me sum up this in one statement for you. You even being here, you even sitting here, you even reading this passage along with me may have gotten you into more trouble than when you, were in, when you walked in here. Your knowledge of God, your knowledge of the ways of God only mean you're held accountable to the knowledge you've been given. God is going to give you what you have back. And for those of you who know, the very fact of your knowing will actually be held against you. The dividing line about what makes you right before God has nothing to do with whether or not you know things. What you're seeking in your life matters. If you seek, look back at verses 4 through 8. I think I have that separated out. Go back to 8. There we go. If you seek, look at verse 7. To those who by patience in well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, they get eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, who do not obey what they know, do not obey the righteousness that they know, but instead obey unrighteousness, there is wrath and fury no matter which group you start off in. Dave said he's been hoping and praying that this series would bring unity to our group. Whether you started off like me or whether you've been raised in the church your entire life like my girls have, he was hoping that you would understand two things. That your beginning of heading towards wrath and fury is just as real and as true as anyone out there doing any heinous sin like aggravated assault and robbery. You are both headed to wrath and fury. That should unify us with this entire world. But it can be really hard for a group like you to get that. It can be really, really difficult for you to understand the wrath and fury that's coming your way. So that's what Paul's trying to make clear to you. The first group we get 
they're just living their lives. They do not care about what's coming at them or they don't know about what's coming to them. They are, they are blind to it. But here we are knowing that we have to live for God, saying it, preaching it, singing it, listening to it, going on mission trips to tell other people about it. And yet we're hiding the truth that we are doing the same thing as the first group. We are living our lives for us, with us at the center of all things, a self-seeking life. You know how we know? It's exactly how Paul told us. You who can judge this and others, you go out and you do the very same thing thing. You even call out the truth in other people. You get together with your friends and you say things like, I cannot believe that she lied, cheated, gossiped, betrayed your friendship. I can't believe he talked to the coach like that, didn't show up for this, acted like this, cheated on the test. And then you turn and go and do the very same thing. Maybe you're better though. Maybe you don't do it at school. Maybe you didn't cheat on the test. Maybe I should just ask your parents if you've lied to them. Maybe I should actually just watch you with your family. Instead of watching you with your friends and how great of a person you are, how about I just follow you around and watch your attitudes towards your mom, your attitude towards your brother. I don't care what you look like at Wayman Manor and Meadow Village and the two weeks of impact. How are you doing when your brother goes into your room, when your sister takes your stuff? How are you doing giving your life in time for them? When they come close, do your eyes light up and your arms outstretch? Are you making plans to be with your siblings? Do you want me then to take your cell phone? Let me just start reading every text you've sent. I want to see every Snapchat you've done. That pic you sent him, that one you asked her for, those searches you've done on the Internet, do you honestly think those things are gone forever? If you do, you're an idiot. If I find the right person and offer them the right amount of money, I can get to anything you've ever done, ever, on the web. Ever. There's no such thing as deleted in cyberspace. But maybe that's okay. I, maybe I look at your cell phone and everything's going fine. I watch you with your family and when you've got that conquered. But then somehow I can see into your thoughts and your dreams and your lusts and your fantasies. You're not different, are you? That last argument that played out in your head, did you lose it in your head? Or did you come up with that really winning, that really winning, witty rejoinder that just sealed the deal? Your fantasies about other people making the shots or you? Your dreams about how high you're going to be or about how much you can help others achieve their dreams? If I look at your lusts and your fantasies and your dreams, your goals... Will I find someone who is self-seeking or someone who has given themselves up to live that others might live? Guys, you you know how I know all this, right? Because I'm not in the first category anymore. I'm in the second. I am you. I am you. All over impact, then I have a home who can see very different of me. Or I'd give to this group, but not this group. And even when I can get my texting under control, my searches under control, my entertainment under control, all you have to do is sneak inside of me and watch the replay of my own fantasies and my own lusts and my own dreams 
my own glories that play out in my mind. I win every fight. I score every bucket. I, I do everything so well. I am you. We are a people who are self-seeking. We do not obey the truth. And this is a big deal. For those who do that, for me, there will be wrath and fury for that self-seeking life. Do you ever wonder why we're still here then? He's so kind to us. He's so patient with us. He so richly forbears with us. Why? Look at verse 4. God's kindness is meant to lead us to what? Repentance. Repentance. You have to wake from your slumber of thinking you're doing just fine. You have to stop preaching to yourself a gospel of self-esteem. You have to stop thinking you've done enough. You have to stop looking back at that one day when you gave your life to Christ. And stop thinking that's going to seal the deal for you. It doesn't matter what comes after. As long as you walked that aisle, prayed that prayer, converted in impact, that that's it for you. And then you can live your life seeking yourself all the rest of your days until you get to heaven, right? That is not the way this works. Paul has given us hard words for those of us inside the church who have no God and are living self-seeking lives. There is wrath and fury coming to us. But hold 116 in your head. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jews, those like you and I, who know God, you get salvation because of the gospel. How does it happen? It's not a secret, and it's not some second way of living. It's not some mystery knowledge you need. He told us right at the beginning, the first one, there's going to be two things we're going to focus on, and the first one is this. Believe that you are a sinner and repent. Believe you're a sinner and repent. Own it. You're a sinner. You were, you are, and you will be until he returns for you or until he comes back to this earth. You will mess this up again and again. Your thoughts will be all about you again and again. Own that. But I feel like you hear that, like I'm a sinner. I feel like that's like in a worship song, you'd be raising your hand. Like, yeah, I'm a sinner. We think we're owning it. But there's a problem with the way we're owning this that keeps us self-centered. So before we move on, let me give you a normal Christian situation and see if you can see how this plays out. Have you all ever been in a smaller group and you share prayer requests? I've been doing this, meeting with women, discipling women, teaching women for 15 years now. I've taken innumerable prayer requests from women. Let me just give you a few of them. Would you please help me to be more patient? Would you pray that God would help me not to be so anxious while my husband's gone? Would you help me to have confidence in God about my children? Would you pray that we'd be safe on this mission trip? My husband has a job interview. Would you just pray for God's wisdom for us? Would you pray that God would give him favor there? Does that sound familiar? 
Would that mimic things y'all have heard all of your little lives in the Christian circles? Can you hear, though, anything about those prayer requests that maybe doesn't line up with repentance? Are those things bad? Before you start to think, oh, great, now I don't even know how to do a prayer request, right? Are those things bad? Is it bad that I say, can you help me to be more patient? No, it's not bad to say it. What I need you to understand is it's not repentance. What God is aiming at in us, the reason he's being kind to you is not so you'd be here, but you'd rather be here. God, I'm, I'm, I'm like this patient with my kids. Would you pray I'd be more patient? Would you take me and make me better? Me, but better. Me, here's my anxiety level. Would you make me less anxious, better? Me, but better. That's like saying, would you help me to throw a tighter spiral? I really need to know more about ancient Gaul for this next test. It's like a skill set we're giving. Me, but a better me than the one that came before. That's not repentance. That is not laying aside us that Christ might live in us. There's, there's this truth. We are okay at saying we're sinners, but we are terrible at renouncing sin. We're terrible at giving up sin, at owning it. Let me tell you, like, let's take the prayer request for patience. Here's the prayer request on the little slip might say, Father, would you make me more patient? That's not the same as this. I am so impatient. Father, forgive me. That is not what Jesus looks like. That's what I'm supposed to be. Father, you saved me to transform me into the image of your son. And that's not what he looks like. Convict my heart. Show it to me again and again. I am so impatient. I don't trust your timing. I don't trust you with your people. I don't trust you with how you're ruling my life. So I am an, I'm an impatient woman. Forgive me. Convict me. Change me. I want to be done with this. Can you hear a difference? This is not about me cleaning up and getting better. It's about me going away and Christ alone living through me. This is something we have to have, but we don't do it well. And I want to tell you two reasons real quick why it's possible that this is hard for you. Why are we not repentant? Frankly, we don't know that death as living is what we're supposed to be doing. Like, nobody told me when I signed up to be a Christian. Seriously. Like, I actually thought, there's the old Kim. Okay, she was dead. He's made her alive. And now here's like a baseline where I stop. Have you ever seen that line graph of the Christian life? I felt like that's what I, that's what, that was it. Like, you start here. You know, he saved you. Yay, you get this little bump up. And then for the rest of your life, you get like a little better and a little better. Some big jumps and then a little fall. But over time, just better and better until we get to Jesus, right? And then you read the scriptures, and it doesn't sound like that. Here's what it sounds like. Let me give you three passages. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Am I still alive? I no longer live. 
Christ lives in me. Let me put it in another one, Romans 6, 6. We'll study this one more later. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Why? That this body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's what's going to be accomplished more and more in us. Us gone and more of him. Why? So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's why he killed us. So we wouldn't be enslaved to us anymore. Look at one last one. Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. But it's the next part. Hold this. Whoever tries to save their life, what's going to happen to your life? You're going to lose it. But if you're willing to make the great exchange to lose your life for him, what happens to that life? What's he say? You will actually find life. Lose your life. That's the goal. Or as one pastor, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may have read about him. He was a it's in Germany with the Nazis and was killed in the concentration camps. The way he put it was this. Next one. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But guys, this may be news to you. You may not have read the fine print when you became a believer. No one may have shared this part. Actually, it may have just been chosen to you. Your family's here. This is where you come. They're there. You're here. This is just what is. You didn't sign up for anything. You learned about God because you were brought here. Or maybe you became a Christian because somebody said, what we all love, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Who doesn't? But nobody told you that Christ cares as much about your life as he does your death. I didn't know it. No one told me about it. And honestly, I'm not kidding you. The more I read the Bible, the more I'm like, you people have got to tell us every part of this before we begin because it just gets harder, which is the second reason. Next slide. Dying to ourselves is hard. I just want you to know that. I want you to understand that I get that this isn't easy. Dying to what you want is hard. It was hard for somebody like me who's coming from what I thought of as a self-determined life. I knew what was best for me. I knew what would get me joy. I knew it would get me life. I knew it would get me happiness. And I was on my way for that. And you're asking me to trust in somebody I cannot see who does things like, you know, burn people up and crack the earth open and swallow them. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And then the more I read, the more I realized it's part of one. It's, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And that was hard for me. But I'll tell you the truth. I think it had, I, I had it easy compared to you. And I mean it. I think that it's harder for my girls to die to themselves than it is for me to die to myself. And the reason is because, frankly, you didn't start off that bad. There's not very many people sitting in this room, and I mean this, who can't stand to look themselves in the eye in the mirror. I had thoughts about myself one day when I was 19 that left me like incapacitated for three days in a strange guy's apartment. I didn't get out of his bed for three days from thoughts about myself. I vomited in thoughts about myself. But y'all didn't do what I'd done. Most of you. 
I tell my girls all the time that, like, when they confess their sins to me and they're, like, so, you know, sobbing and they're filled with shame, and I feel like telling them, like, you're still, like, on the seventh grade B team of sinners. Like, you're doing just fine, really. Like, you're looking at the captain of the varsity. We're going to get through this. Even when our sweet Aisley turned up on my bed to tell me that she was pregnant, like she was confessing sexual sin to us, but she was looking in the eyes of a woman who had committed more sexual sin than she could dream of. And if I can walk into the doors of Temple Bible Church, she's going to be just fine. You can meet everyone's eyes because they meet the eyes of your mother. But guys, you know, you get what I'm saying, though. Like, it was easier for me to die to me and my thoughts and my ways and my plans because I hated me. But you're not that big of a deal to you. Like, you don't, there's so many of you that can't even remember not hearing Jesus loves me, this I know. That God lives right inside of your heart. You've always known right from wrong. You've always had these precious limits on your sin, You've had people who've cared to cover you and to stop you from going everywhere you could go. So you've come today not actually really hating yourself, but do know that you have some areas that you need cleaned up. It's hard to die to yourself when you really like yourself. So the first thing that I want you to know is that I get that. I get that this is difficult for you. But I need you to hear me. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for you. For us inside the church as well as those outside the church, God is able to stop your self-improvement program to take you from someone who is trying to take you and make you a better you in your better life and to crucify that. He is as able to save me from drugs and alcohol and sex and self-centered living, not caring who I'm hurting, as he is from you who are simply addicted to you. The gospel is as strong and as mighty to free you from your addiction to yourself in your mind and your agenda as he is from four boys who are so hardened in the deceitfulness of sin that they will go commit an aggravated assault. He is powerful. But that's the first thing. Repent. Not self-improvement. Repentance. Is your way given to break you free and to save you through the gospel? Repent and believe it. The second way Paul tells us in this is he tells us, next slide, he gave us this. He tells them that by patience in well-doing, seek glory, honor, and immortality. Those get eternal life, so we should do that. Patiently, Do good in seeking glory, honor, and immortality. I'm going to break those apart for you, and there's one on each slide. Patiently do good in seeking glory. Let's start there. Glory is this. When you read in the Bible the word glory, 
what God is getting across to us is that there is a God who is unseen, invisible. No man can see him and live. Jesus Christ said, I'm the only one who's ever seen God. So how in the world do we see him? And what God does is gives us his glory. It is his manifest presence. It is his seen display. God weighty. God with mass. God on display. And Paul tells us, go seek that. Go seek, in other words, the display of God in you. But don't go do it like, okay, what's God like? He's good. I'm going to go be good. Okay, what else? What else do you like? You're patient. Shoot. Okay, I'm going to go be patient. Like, you don't, it's not a new checklist for you. The way you do it is the simple way he gave you all along, which is you seek the glory of God by seeking the glory of Christ. In other words, you see God as he really is by seeing Christ as he really is. I want you to picture it like, like here's God. I'm not a man, but let's pretend this is God, right? So this is God, and here comes Jesus, and what Jesus said is, I'm the exact image of God. If you've seen God, I mean, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Everything I think, say, and do lines up with the Father. And then here's what he said. Imitate me. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ who's imitating the Father. So what's going to happen is that you're going to take, like, picture your hand as your life, and you're going to line your life up with God, except that right when we start, we all look a lot like this, like this small little nothing. And he's like, I need you to extend this here, extend that there. No, it's off kilter. I need you to shift this part into order. So it's no different to me. It's like when you're tracing a picture, you lay it on, put some tracing paper down, and you're trying to get like right where that line is. And what the Bible does for us is show us Jesus Christ, who is that line. He's that, he's that masterpiece that is perfectly imaging God. So wherever you see Christ, you've seen the Father, who is the glory that we're all seeking. Seek to align your life with Christ so that it aligns with the Father. Seek to do that patiently all of your life. The second one he says is seek honor. The Greek word Paul's trying to give us the flavor of here is the word for what is best, what is highest, what's the most, the treasure, the, the priciest thing you could do. What it's not is what's easiest, what gets me home for the nap quickest, How's the, what's the shortcut I can take. He's asking us to live lives that actually choose the treasure. Do you remember the parable? Jesus says there's a man who is walking through a field. And he finds a treasure in that field, and he covers up the treasure. And then it says these really beautiful words, that in his joy, which we love that, he found a treasure, he's joyful, but we never put joy with what he did next. He sold everything he had. Okay, find a treasure, get joy, got it, sell everything you have. If that's the end of the story, it's a stupid story. Find a treasure in your joy, sell everything you have. You're poor, congratulations, but you know where the treasure is. And that's exactly what we look like. We're like going to the pawn shops, like going, okay, well, here's, here's me. So, I mean, if I can get like $17.50 for it, and they're like, sorry, it's like worth $12.50 on the black market. So, all right, I'll take the $12.50. And now here's me, poor, but dying. That's great. That's not the look of those who know Jesus. Those who know Jesus know that they are selling themselves. They are losing themselves because guess what? 
we get rich. That man sold everything he has. And sure, I'm sure like selling off his wife's wedding ring was probably a problem there for a half second. And he kept looking at her going like, would you like the diamond or not? And she's like, okay, hang on just a second. I'll take it. They're after the treasure. Jesus is saying, seek the treasure and do it joyfully. Whatever it's going to cost you. That lie you were about to tell. You have the chance to sell that in your joy for the glory of what truth will buy you. That gossiping you're just about to do, you just left, you just heard it, and you're about to run to the next class where your best friend's sitting, and you look at her and you say, you're not going to believe what happened. You have the choice as soon as you enter to sell that idea off and patiently over time to keep choosing the highest not because, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's right. It's holy. I'm telling y'all, aim at the treasure. And that's the ends to the third part, immortality. The thing is that we don't know is that we actually do get the treasure. There is another life coming. But there's, there's not a great deal that the evangelical church today has given done to give you a right understanding of the next life. So that most of the teenagers I talk to in the church and outside of the church, you still picture the next life as good because like, you know, there's no pain and there's no sickness. I mean, you know, like, you know, it's going to be better in general, but you're going to miss things there miss things. No. (laughs) You're not going to miss things there because you're going to live there. Do you honestly think you'll have less technology there? You honestly think you'll have less there, less adventure, less excitement, less fellowship, less community, less fun. The next life is like you sitting like mostly naked in a diaper on a cloud singing. I don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. Much less live it. It's so stupid. Here's the deal. On Tuesday, the fourth Tuesday that you're there, if you'd like to go surfing with me, you're welcome. You want to skydive with me? I can't wait. I'm climbing rocks. I'm running. I'm not going to have to take my inhaler three times before I speak, much less climb a mountain. I'm going places. I'm doing things. I'm seeing people. I'm meeting you for coffee. You're welcome to come over for Mexican food on Mondays. We're actually going to be living life together. This world was not meant to be the pinnacle that steps down into eternity. I want you to imagine this life free of everything that is holding you back, free of yourself. I want you to imagine that you're not held back by yourself either, that you're not hindered by the sin that's so easily entangled. I'm not hindered by the sin that's so easily entangled. The, the ra- ravages of sin on our bodies, the ravages of sin on this world, the ravages of danger that happen, you and I are free from it. Now picture your day. And then... Understand that you're going to get more than you asked or even imagined. I say all that because you can't choose the highest if today is the highest. 
If this is your pinnacle of glory and your real worry is about getting old like your parents who can't do anything anymore, then you will make every decision right here for this life right now to get you what you want and then you're ready to like sacrifice yourself, you know, to give yourself for Jesus for the rest of your life. But what if I told you like, I want you to picture the most, the best shape you've ever been in, your voice singing the best it's ever sang, your health, your friendships, and that you could have more than that if you could just seek patiently the next life and not this one. Seek to deposit the treasure where it will not rust. It will not fade. Moths cannot eat it. There is no decay. Make that deposit every single day in every decision that you make that you're going to aim at that life. Patiently do good in seeking glory. Him on display in your life honor. Choose the highest at the moment because you believe that's treasure for you and immortality. Live like the next life is actually going to be yours. Because here's the thing. If we by patience and well-doing see glory, honor, and immortality, understanding that God's kindness and forbearance and patience are given to us for the very reason of getting us, not to improve us, but to kill us to kill us all the more so we look more like Jesus and less like us ever. If you get that, the power of the gospel is yours unto your salvation, church. But if you lay it aside and you seek yourselves and you disobey the righteousness you've been given and you obey the unrighteousness of the world, You get wrath and fury. And it's the last thing I want for this group. I'm so in love with y'all. I'm begging you to be sick of you. I'm begging you to be done. I'm begging you to understand that God is offering you the treasure. Be patient in well-doing. And when you find yourself seeking your life again, your fantasies, your lusts, your texts, your pictures, your entertainments, they're just all you. Attitudes that are all you. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and has now come. He gets us the treasure today. We don't even have to wait. But we do have work to do. And I'm longing for us to do it together. The gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Go to the last one. Both the pagan and the religious. Fight to believe it. In finding him, we find all we need for this life and the next. Let me pray. Father, I'm begging you to do it for this group that's even sitting here now. That you would turn them into people who understand the difference between taking their pretty lives and making them even prettier. And instead, dying to themselves, giving up themselves, repenting of themselves. No more fantasies about us. No more fantasies about our achievements. No more fantasies about how great we could be. But instead, we would become like your son, humble ourselves to the point of servitude. Knowing that servanthood is not our end. He did it to get the crown. He did it to get the glory. Make us glory seekers instead of glory stealers from our Father.
I pray for this group. I pray for me. Lead us as leaders first. Help us to run hard. Help us to go fast that they might know a little better what it's like to align yourself to Jesus Christ. Do this all because your son deserves the name he actually has, the name above every name. Glory and honor and riches and might and power are his because he's the lamb who was slain. Slay us evermore, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Your questions are